It's time for faith and life to connect. I first go before God, working on who and what I am before Him and what He's calling me to be as a husband. Where our Christian walk meets our day-to-day life. Dealing with that baggage can mean anything from delaying the marriage to dealing with the baggage. For sure. And where it's okay to laugh a little. Meaningless days, I look at. <laughs> I'm looking at meaningless days and live happily with the woman you love, and I'm trying to figure out how they wind up in the same set. <laughs> We're not saying that the marriage is meaningless. Heaven forbid we say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. This is The Session with Tom Russell from Heritage Christian Counseling Ministries. What triggers your potential spouse? And that you guys both agree, yeah, they are triggers, and it is, as we grow, something we have to work through. But we're going to give you sort of the grace and space to do that. Welcome to the Podcast Network at RiseFMOhio.com, and good morning. Welcome to the session. I'm Scott, here with Tom from Heritage Christian Counseling Ministries. And today we're going to dive into something from Focus on the Family, and we're going to meddle with your kids. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to define the four pillars of nurturing children, which may sound like an awful lot of big stuff to say, but there's four points Right. Okay. Four points. You mm-hmm. and me. Last week we got through ten. Holy mackerel, Scott! I, you think we can handle four? Well, I I would put money on it. But <laughs> <laughs> and before we dive into all of that, Tom, we're going to dive into God's word, and today I get to read it. That's right. Wow. You, you've been temporarily promoted. <laughs> Out of Second Timothy chapter three, starting in verse fourteen, <laughs> keep on being faithful to what you were taught and to what you believed. After all, you know who taught you these things. Since childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise enough to have faith in Christ Jesus and be saved. Yes. And it took somebody to teach them that. Yeah. You know, you think back to uh, Paul when he he wrote about Timothy and he talked about his mom and her mom. Right. You know, and one poured into the other, poured into the other, and we have Timothy running around with Paul starting churches. And there's something to be said there about... The legacy about what's passed on from generation to generation. Which is a pillar of Heritage Christian Counseling Ministries. Absolutely. And speaking of pillars, let's also think, too, that these are four pillars that's going to help the children. Well, what does a pillar actually do? It holds up. Yeah, and it supports. Yeah, and it provides safety that the thing's not going to crash around your your shoulders. Which it sounds like something we've talked about quite a bit in the past. This guy named Maslow. Yeah, and we will get into it. Okay, I, I wasn't sure if you wanted to get into it now or later. Well, we, you know what? We can, because Maslow's hierarchy is so important in terms of how each person grows. If the needs of a, of a child aren't met, then there's a high probability they're not going to turn out well. They're not going to reach what Maslow called their self-actualization, to us, it would be is more Christ-like and fulfilling what our God's calling on our life is. But he talks about physiological needs, that they have to know where their food is coming from. They have to know that they're going to be fed. And believe it or not, for young children, even in situations of divorce, one of the children's fear of mommy and daddy breaking up or, or abandoning them, who's going to feed them? That's really a big and important one. Unless that's met, the next stage isn't going to happen, which is safety needs. They have to know that they're safe. They have to feel safe, and that often comes from mom and dad 
who hold them and take care of them and nurture them, cuddle them. Put Band-Aids on their boo-boos. Yeah, stuff like that. So you'll love this, Scott. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> You're doing this just to torment me, aren't you? I, I am. So, I, I, it's, it's, folks, this is one of my favorite things. <laughs> so, All right, what 25-cent word are we pulling out this time? Yeah, Scott, this is called epigenic that each stage is built on the previous stage. So if the previous stage doesn't work, uh, come out well, the current stage isn't going to go well. When you think about a pillar again, if you don't put a pillar in a good footer or cement foundation, building the pillar really may not do a whole lot of good because the first time you know a storm comes and washes the dirt away and that pillar collapses, you know, you're in trouble. So... They are built one stage on the other. That's what's really important. I had to remember the other word to graduate from college, and so I. I, I so you're going to use it on me now. <laughs> I get it. So, in as an example, then if their physiological needs are met, they feel safe. Now their love and belonging needs, the connectedness again that we we've talked about in previous shows of how our God has put in us an incredible desire to be connected to ha- be in relationship because he wanted us to feel that with him so consequently that becomes really important so next then we talk about esteem needs and so esteem needs being how we feel inside of ourselves uh, about ourselves how we see ourselves if you feel inferior as an example how are you going to continue to grow how are you going to continue to fulfill what what God has called you to if you don't have the confidence that your God is working through you and you have a chance? And so finally then, Maslow called it self-actualization. To him, that meant people, when they had got the previous stages right and they had arrived in life, that they were self-actualized. In the, in the church community, we would talk about them being Christ-like, that they have reached the calling that they know their God has called them to do, and, and they're thriving in it. Spiritual maturity? Yeah. Okay. Oh, sanctification might be a good term. Oh, that's a big word, too. <laughs> ah, that's okay. That one, I, I'm Baptist deacon. I got that sanctification thing going. That's all right. All right. So we're going to dive into the four pillars of nurturing children from Focus on the Family with a backdrop of Maslow in mind. And our first pillar, the, the four, I guess I'll go ahead and I'll list them for you, and then we'll kind of unpack them as we can. One is the physical realm which sounds, you know, this really does seem to pattern Maslow perfectly. Two, the mental intellectual realm. Three, the emotional psychological (laughs) realm. And four, the spiritual realm. Right. All right, so let's start with the physical realm of nurturing, Tom. Well, and and Scott, so we're actually talking about providing shelter. We're talking about food. We're talking about clothes to wear. And those are obvious necessities. Being physically around to drive our children to activities and attend to their health care are just a few of the uh, of the needs that are presented. I got to share this story about you know being around to drive the children to their events. Well, there was one summer when I was a teacher, and Kathy had the opportunity to go to this conference in Florida. So I became Mr. Mom for a week. Now, keep in mind, we had the boys were in Little League. They were in tennis. Uh, Mandy was in diving. She was in gymnastics. And 
at that time we didn't have Dean yet. We hadn't adopted him yet. But each of them had two or three different things that they they were doing. So I became Mr. Mom and driving them from one place to another. I think, how does Kathy do this? <laughs> this is incredible. I think I passed myself on East Main Street about three times going, that was him going that way. I would drop from one and go to the next, and by the time they were done, I was taking the next. And, you know, I'm thinking, Kathy does this without any problem. Their ability to multitask was incredible. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Bless her in that. <laughs> So there's the physical realm of nurturing. So that first one is just simply meeting the physical needs and, you know, yeah. being the transportation arm, being the boo-boo arm, mm-hmm. being, you know, taking care of their, you know, making sure they have lunch on the table, even if they do insist on cutting the edges off the bread. <laughs> all right. Number two, I mean, we almost had water all over the counter. Uh, <laughs> number two of the four pillars of nurturing children the mental and intellectual realm. So now we're starting to delve into more of your realm. Yes, that's true. (laughs) Studies indicate that parents can affect their child's IQ simply by reading aloud to them. Uh, According to an early education expert and author, Betty Bardage, reading aloud to young children is not only one of the best activities to stimulate language and cognitive skills, it is also builds motivation, curiosity, and memory. So that, that is critical. There's a correlation between doing those things, the reading aloud to, to the children, and stimulating the language development and then cognitive. Well, there's that word again. <laughs> cognitive skills. Stay tuned next week. We'll define what that. No. no. <laughs> next week on the session, yeah. Tom defines the words he uses. <laughs> I can't wait. I hope I understand them too. Well, it's about thinking, our our actual thoughts. There's a direct correlation between motivation, curiosity, and memory based on in the early years of reading to our children. Kathy was excellent at that. And it just so happens three of our, well, all four of our children are pretty high functioning. And some of the things that they can think of and do just blow my mind. Well, <laughs> Kathy made sure that they got read to. She did it. I did it. Uh, with Kathy's coaching and encouragement, it, it really, you can see it in them. That Mandy is an example. Uh, we've told the story, too. I still laugh at how she would baffle her Algebra two teacher in high school by sitting in the back of the room reading a book while he was teaching. He would call on her, and she always knew the answer, even though she was reading a book. What? Yeah, I don't know how. How do women do that, Tom? Exactly. You're the king of the cranium. How do they do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I can only feel somewhat secure, Scott, in thinking this, that they God also created them to multitask. And in fact, I'm pretty sure women created multitasking while they were busy doing something else. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oy. So their mind can do that because of how it's wired. You know, some some uh, speakers on it talk about their minds being like this big ball of wires that, that short circuit and cross. That's why they can be having this conversation and planning next week's menu. Right. I haven't even thought about next week's menu, and they've already got halfway through the week. I haven't even thought about tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so we go back to this mental intellectual thing. You know, I it kind of makes sense to me that if you're going to read to kids, their imagination is going to be kindled. 
Yeah. It starts picturing things and synopses start firing and yeah. all of a sudden Whoa. they say, hey, <laughs> I got a Big Ten education too. <laughs> <laughs> Except my school is an agricultural school. Um but it, it, the things that it that it does encourage, and you know, and I can I can just hear. I don't remember Aaron doing this. You know, I would read to Aaron, and I know her mom read to her. But it, I also I would assume would lead to quicker recognition and reading earlier uh-huh. for the child to be able to. You know, now they now they would take the book out of your hand and go, "Mommy, what that say?" Right, and be able to read the page to you. Yeah. Well, and because we would model it for them, they would want to do it. And yet there's even another deeper level thing going on here, Scott. Now, this is really evidence the king of the cranium is something's <laughs> fired here. <laughs> because if you can picture reading to Aaron on the couch and you're, you're snuggled up and you're reading a book, subconsciously to unconsciously, there's something else going on there that that's a bonding experience where your granddaughter or your daughter would feel loved. Aaron would feel loved in that subconsciously. She's like, yeah, thanks dad. Or yeah, thanks old man. Can we go to go do something I want to uh, do now? Yeah. Yeah. No. And so it's happening unannounced and that's part of what helps them develop the ability to bond later in life. Not to mention how it, because we were talking about Maslow feeling safe, now they can continue to grow. Well, they're growing mentally. There's a more common term. There we go. Okay. Yeah. And thank you for not pulling out the big word on me. <laughs> yes. All right. Number three of the four pillars of nurturing children from Focus on the Family is the emotional and psychological realm. Now, this is really where the king of the cranium really <laughs> the part really comes in here. Tom. Yeah. And so the more emotionally and physically a mother can be present in a child for the first three years, the better the chance that that child, Scott, will be emotionally and healthy and mentally well. It is so real. There's a window of opportunity there that we, we want to be there. I will attest that when I was in the school community, it, it was as if we locked on to their cognition and we downloaded information into it. That's kind of what, what teaching was. And then when students didn't perform and the, the results weren't there, w- teachers were very frustrated. Well, but what we did not give a lot of respect or credit to is what was going on emotionally with that student. So we're asking a student to, to be cognitively grade level or higher and performing cognitive or academically in a level that, that's appropriate. And, and, and their emotional world is crashing. It'd be like trying to anchor the church relay team with one leg. How's that going to work for you? So see, it was so critically important. I think more so now the schools are, are more in tune with the fact that emotions play a big part in it. There could be a great IQ, but if that, that student is crashing emotionally, they're not going to perform anywhere near the level that they could. When teachers would be teaching them about social studies or the multiplication tables, and they're thinking about how frightened they were last night with what was going on at home, exactly how much learning is going to take right. place there. Right. So that's just critical that we, we help that. 
And so. that's where, you know, again, the involvement of the parents. And I know we talk so much about um, women in, being in prison and finding out through studies that it was a lot of it, most of them had no father figure. Right. Now, let's turn that around the other way. If in a, in a situation where the child doesn't have the mom, is there studies or data that you know of that kind of indicate a similar thing where if mom's not involved, maybe emotional development is not as strong as it might normally be? Oh, well, I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't studied it in research, but I don't have any problem saying, yeah, it's probably even more magnified because of mom's heart and ability to do that is absent. How does a young boy then learn how to relate to the other planet called women when he's beginning to think about marriage and, and dating and that sort of thing? Because there's a, one of the first places young men uh, compare a potential date or potential wife to is, believe it or not, how did they get along with their mom? The comparison there being very real, that's their their first impression of the other planet. Well, if she's not there, it has definitely emotional implications, but also how mom would approach school versus how dad would. Oh, heavenly days, if I look back at my childhood, <laughs> mom had the potential to be more nurturing about school, and dad had no patience. It was his way or the highway. He also talks about how our children emotionally and psychologically are affected by the words we say to them and the message that's sent through our body language and tone. Oh, for heavenly days, my dad's tone at times, I wanted to run for the, the shelter and hide because if I didn't get it, he would just go off. And I, I remember sitting at the kitchen table one time and he was trying to talk about a fourth and he was calling it a quarter. Well, I had never heard it called a quarter before, a quarter of a pie. Well, it was a fourth, but he was so frustrated and his tone got so loud. I, I wanted to head for the hills. That was not a, a positive academic atmosphere. When that's not there, learning, let's just say it this way, learning is optimized when the environment around it is safe and securing. I think there's a lot to be said there. All right. There's a lot to that. And, you know, if that's something you need to unpack, then maybe sitting down with Tom would be, be an idea you want to consider. All right. The final one. We're going to get through them, Tom. Whoa. Two in a week's in a row, Scott. I know. I'm not quite sure I know how to handle this. There's something there's something askew in the universe here. <laughs> All right. We turn to the spiritual realm of nurturing. And as believers, you know, this for us is a critical component. Well, if certainly. How could we be talking about nurturing a child and not talk about their relationship with Jesus? So we reach the most crucial aspect of child development. Oh, I get pumped when we start talking about, about that. A spiritual foundation without a relationship with Jesus Christ and following the Creator's design, who knows best? We live a self-oriented life without true wisdom or direction. And I cannot, for the life of me, think it would be as good. So nurturing the spiritual dimension in our children, Scott, is the most important job we ever had or could do. Wow. 
Okay, that's it. We're out of here. <laughs> amen. That's amen. Where's where's our where's the buffet? Um, you know, there's so much comfort to be had for our children in Christ. Right. So much that we can draw from His example. So much that parents can draw from His example. Right. That we need to pass on to our kids. Absolutely. If we were to go back in history, even in the history of the United States. How far back would we go when primary learning and things like learning how to read and, and, and understanding was really about what the Bible had to say? Will we be talking the 40s? Will we be talking 1800s? Oh, you at least turn of the cent, turn of the in the 1900s. Yeah, yeah. Compare what it was then about this was the primary focus about what did Scripture say? That's what you learned. The way you learned it. Yeah, to today. When it's not about what does the Bible say, it's more about is what is the Bible or is it even appropriate or it's just another literature book and it's debated today in too many circles, in my opinion. It's really about understanding and growing in Christ, which seemed to be back in what regardless where we land in the turn of the century that's when it was so critical and now you know it's not scripture it's human rights human rights are what it's all about really that's become god i hope not scott yeah now you know and that's way i guess a lot of and, and a lot of education was done in the home yeah and where that's where you learn to read by learning to read the Psalms. There you go. Read the Bible. Yeah. And that's how you learned. And then you went to a school to take on math and some of the higher stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe mom and dad didn't have the education to teach you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking like the one room schoolhouse days. Yeah. Back when you and I were in one. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. I was in a new one, in fact. Well, that's uh, <laughs> not new anymore. <laughs> it's for sure. <laughs> At times at Heritage, I'm in session with, with with someone younger, and I said, "Well, you know, back when I was young, and I always want to give a reference point." So I'm like, well, "You know, in the one room schoolhouse, you know, I had the little white picket fence in front of it, and the bell out hanging out, and I get the strangest looks from <laughs> that actually happened. That that's true. That wasn't just on Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> yeah." So these four pillars, you bring them together and you have a well-nurtured child that has a basis, a foundation yes. to build life on. And we know that in today's society, as you said, it's human rights now. It's my rights. It's what I want. Mm-hmm. You know, now we're dealing with some families. We're starting to see the kickback from that. We're starting mm-hmm. to see the results of it. Right. And we're seeing families that maybe need to rebuild these four pillars because one's totally fallen off and another one's only half there and one's not there at all and you know they need to rebuild these these pillars how can they maybe start a conversation with you to do that well scott i can be reached at heritage christian counseling ministries.com 